most of the workshops that I put, <laughs> we ask them, so what brings you to this workshop, right? And this is an anonymous poll. So most people are saying, oh, my boss sent me here. My this thing came here. Some people are, are kind enough and they say, oh, I want to know more about design thinking because, you know, the workshop name is Design Thinking for Engineers. But we have to understand that most people may not know what this is or they're using, or they're already using parts of design thinking, but maybe there's some place that where they can do it better. Hi, everyone. I'm Shamir Joseph and you're listening to Cut Talks. Double G U double T. Hi everyone, Maria here, and welcome to season two of God Talks, Double G U double T, a podcast focusing on business and tech for good, experience design, and gut feelings. I'm Maria, designer, strategist, and venture builder running Gut, Double G U double T, a design and innovation hub. I decided to launch Gut Talks as the pandemic hit with an ambition to educate, put some karma on the board and feature entrepreneurs, industry leaders and investors who deserve recognition and have inspiring stories to tell. Feel free to email me if you need me, maria at gut.com, W-G-U-W-T, or check the links in the show notes. If you haven't noticed, there are no sponsors for the show, but you can still support Gut Talks and it's super easy. Just leave a five-star review and a comment and follow our social media channels on LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, and the Telegram channel. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get started. Shamir Joseph, thank you for being on Gut Talks. We met at the co-creation school with Adam Lawrence, who was here on episodes 24 and 25. And Akira, whose episode will be out very soon, actually, uh, in a nice. few weeks. Renatus, not yet, but getting there. Hello, Renatus. Soon. Next one. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an amazing community. Everyone who's into co-creation should check it out. Lots of learnings, great people. Yeah, I'm really happy to be part of this. That's how we met. We always try to learn new things, advance new things. And we're going to be talking about, guess what, design thinking today. So you're an engineer. You moved from uh, mechanical engineering to design thinking. You're a trainer, facilitator. I'll let you expand on this. So let's just understand a little bit who's Shamir and why did you go into engineering first? Ah, that's a very nice question. Well, I, so... I know yeah, in India, many people go into engineering <laughs> first. That we know, but beyond mm-hmm. this, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, for me, basically, I was the kind of kid that always asked my parents why. And when they said something, I would be why? Why? Why not? So I was always irritating my parents, but they were kind enough to, you know, always entertain those questions and entertain my curiosity. So the curiosity in terms of not only asking why, but also opening up things and trying to get them back. And I must admit that most of the things I tried to get back did not go back into the original position that they were in. So a lot of things that I opened up, you know, uh, didn't really uh, work, but I enjoyed exploring, understanding how things work. And that's what really led me to engineering. So understanding the why behind it, understanding what can be done with it, and then trying to create something from it. So that's how I landed up in engineering and mechanical um, per se and uh, specifically and the best part about my engineering was what we did in a college team so we had this formula one race team where we built a formula one style race car with a bunch of college students and raced them with other colleges and that really got me interested in you know prototyping testing building things with your hand physically you know testing so it was it was much it made the what we studied in class even more richer and we got to actually build something and that got me into you know building products and trying out designs and 
that's where I discovered design thinking and the human-centered way of thinking around products and services. And um, then the facilitation came in as because I realized training is something that I love, being able to explain things in an easier way, in an easy way to do, and using leveraging really experiential learning. So having fun while you're learning things was something that I really enjoyed personally. So trying to create that in workshops, in courses that are there. So that's that's basically how we are. This is how I, it led to today. So, yeah. Can you expand a little bit on the uh, Formula One kind of experience? What <laughs> did you do actually? What was yeah. the brief and what is it that you and your team did? What was the aha so, moment as well for you? So there are a lot of aha moments in that, but basically what it is, is a lot of engineering students, uh, mechanical engineering students come together to create this Formula One style race car. So what we did was we took a bike engine, so a KTM Duke engine, put it in a metal frame of a, what a Formula One styled open car would look like. Got wheels, got brake pedals of, of another car. We used different parts of different cars, put it together to create this and then create different um, gear ratios, trying them out so that it's fast and actually build it, you know, weld it out and find the electronics for it, combine it together and make it into this a car that's actually running on the roads. And then you get to race with other teams um, from other colleges, not only in India, but outside. So this is quite, it's, it's called Formula Student. It's quite an international movement to really have those hands-on training, hands-on experience uh, for mechanical engineers specifically. So there's this really, uh, a lot of aha moments, you know, like we think things are great on design because we make them in software, right? We go and then we go test it out and it breaks. And we're like, hmm, okay. Or, or we go and build it in software. We're like, it'll fit well. We send it off to manufacturing, it comes back and we try to fit it in. And we're like, okay, maybe we got the dimensions wrong. So we did waste a lot of money uh, doing that, but we learned a lot on how to test cheaply on how to, you know, test. So instead of, um, you know, we would first take a printout, put it on a cardboard piece of paper and see if it actually fit there before, you know, going ahead and making, um, cutting it out out of uh, aluminium, which is very expensive and going through the manufacturing process. So it got us, you know, to test things quickly and cheaply because we didn't have that much money as a college team, you know, how much we could raise to do that. So a lot of aha moments along the way, just building and testing and building this uh, Formula One styled race car. That's a, yeah. Cool. And my other thing, so you discovered there that you enjoy prototyping, testing your assumptions mm -hmm. and so on. And you discovered human-centered design during... Mm -hmm that period also? Uh, yes. So I, I did get a bit into the design thinking and human-centered design, but at that point, I couldn't find anything in my course that was teaching me that. So that led me to explore outside of my syllabus. And that's when I, I was thinking, why isn't this there in engineering, right? At that point, it wasn't there, like as a course syllabus that was being taught. Luckily, now it is. Uh, we get to do that. But at that point, it was not there. So that led me to explore more outside. And, you know, as I said, I'm an explorer. Right. So if I'm curious about something, I go ahead and uh, find it. And that's when I explored about design thinking. And that became really useful when we started after college, you know, when we were building products for clients that really had very specific needs, right, or what they wanted. So exploring those needs and understanding how through engineering we can make them possible. So that really helped in that sense. Yeah. We're not really giving an overview of what's design thinking and so on, because mm -hmm. we had this on a few podcasts, actually. As I said, 2425 with Adam Lawrence, we had a few others. I'll be putting all, all the links but do you want from your perspective your initial thought like mm. to give kind of how would you define it which is not easy to do and i guess it depends on who you talk to but how would you define this for engineers how would you mm. tell them what it is and how can this help them so specifically um design thinking for i would say a six-year-old how to explain it to them would be it's a way to solve problems creatively and come up with innovative solutions. That's basically what it is. 
and to an engineer specifically, I guess how I would frame it was, is what is different about it, right? So that would be the approach that I would take. What is different from what design thinking versus engineering thinking? And all I'll say is it, it helps you to test things quickly, helps you to broaden the scope of what engineering thinking focuses you because engineering thinking is great for certain aspects. But there's design thinking, which helps you to really get a broader holistic view of how products are made, because no more are we in the age where engineers do only engineering work. That's not the case. There are a lot of engineers who are working in the industry to have to consider, you know, customer aspects of it. And there are some engineers who are working in startups as well, where you're not just doing engineering work, you're doing many other aspects. And there's design thinking can really help you get a better understanding of who the people are you're talking to and what their needs could be and how you can fulfill that. So that's how I'd say it. So it broadens your set of toolkit that you have as an engineer. When you go into engineering teams, because this is part of what you do as well, is there any kind of resistance to wanting this kind of trainings and how do you overcome this? Yeah, that, that's that's a very nice uh, way of putting it because most of the workshops that I put, the, we ask them, so what brings you to this workshop, right? And this is an anonymous poll. So most people are saying, oh, my boss sent me here. My this thing came here. Some people are, are kind enough and they say, oh, I want to know more about design thinking because, you know, the workshop name is Design Thinking for Engineers. But we have to understand that most people may not know what this is or they're using, or they're already using parts of design thinking, but maybe there's some place that where they can do it better. So making them realize that what design thinking really is and how it can leverage what you're doing in certain situations. And maybe as an engineer, when you approach certain situations with an engineering mindset, it may be not the best way to do things for that particular situation. Because when you're exploring, you know, suppose a user need, if you approach it with an engineering mindset, sometimes we jump to solutions because as engineers, we are trained to come up with solutions, right? That's the training that we have to come up with solutions. But sometimes when you're exploring the user need, you don't want to ask the user about solutions at that point. You want to understand the need. You want to hold back to, you know, that thing that's saying, oh, this would be a great solution or this would be a great solution and then throw it at the user and ask them about that. No, you want to understand that need that is there. So yeah, understanding when to use what can be really powerful. I think sense. it's like, if we have a like, complete the sentence it would be find solutions build solutions and the other part would be like that people or your audience would use <laughs> i think this yeah. is the kind of exactly part. that's a very beautiful way of putting it because sometimes what happens as engineers we're great at coming up with awesome solutions right so we build a great solution and then we're searching for the need so a great yeah. solution in search for a need that's yeah. what happens. Yeah, again, I mean, here we're generalizing. It's obviously not all engineers. It's mm -hmm. based on, uh, you know, the exposure, the industry, mm -hmm. how yeah. how curious one is, how mm -hmm. open one is to work with the others. It's based on yeah. company culture. So many things come yeah. into play. And you don't only sure. facilitate workshops and trainings to engineers, mm -hmm. but a wide yeah. array of audiences. So what are some yeah. of the, let's say, common patterns, maybe even challenges, but also things that happen in a recurring way throughout your workshops and trainings. You can give a story um, yeah, if you want. For sure. So I think leading with judgment is something that I find rather than, so we say as when you're, when you are exploring stuff, right, you should be leading with curiosity rather than judgment. So we were doing this, um, leading with curiosity and most people sometimes have that beginner's mindset that is there. And so if you tell someone what to embrace a beginner's mindset, it can be really hard, which is why I use something called think like an alien. So what it is, is basically if a human were to see an object, then they would have a based on their judgment because they've, they've already used it before. They know what it is, right? You can tell what the, what the object would be used based on your experience. But if you're an alien, you're seeing it for the first time, you start asking questions. So you don't lead with judgment based on your experience, but you lead with curiosity. And why is that really helpful is because most people who are solving problems 
have experience in that field for many years. And sometimes letting go of our judgment that is there can be really powerful when we're exploring things. So, you know, thinking like an alien is something that I say, tell them rather than thinking like a child. Because I found when I tell people, you know, in business people think like a child, they just look back at me and they're like, what are we doing, you know? So thinking like an alien works well. So that's a common thing that I use. And I feel thinking like an alien helps in that scenario. That's a nice one, actually. And letting go is a big one as well. It's very difficult to get people to, to let go of their, you know, kind of subconscious mind in a certain way. Also, actually, on that note... Well, first of all, do you trust your gut, your intuition and coming from an engineering background to moving towards design thinking as well and facilitating the process to others? How was it for you and how is it to communicate this to <laughs> others? It is a real struggle. So let me tell you that even I am still figuring this out because I feel like whenever I see things, I do jump to solutions. Like that is my mindset. And I have to remind myself, you know, there's, there's the one design thinking part of my brain that's screaming back at me and saying, wait, hold on, put on the brakes, you know, park this solution. Like that's where you say the parking lot of ideas, right? Write it down on a stick it and keep it away so that it, it clears off the mind. So even I'm trying to figure out what are the best ways to do this. But it is a constant struggle. And that's why I tell myself that when I'm trying to solve something, I try to spend most of my time intentionally on understanding the problem. Because I know I have the confidence that I can come up with solutions. Like I have the knack of coming up with solutions, but I need to spend more time discovering what the real problem is. So I intentionally force myself to spend more time in that spot. So it's not about really whether to choose engineering mindset or design thinking mindset. It's about knowing when to apply what and being aware of the differences and what situation you're in and then choosing it. So it's not really about replacing either. So I know we said the name is from engineering thinking to design thinking, but it's more about when can we use what and it's not about throwing away one or the other. For sure. And I guess they all meet up. Yeah. Also, I mean, the podcast that was released last week, we we're talking about becoming product manager with Anna Bigornia. And, and it's not just about a series of experiences that lead you to becoming, you know, just a product manager. In her case, like advertising, banking, fintech, health tech, and so on. And all this leads to one route because at the end of the day, I think each one will design a different process and so on. Each mm -hmm. solution will be different. But going back to what you're saying, asking the right questions and understanding this is key because you can spend so much time designing a thousand solutions, but mm -hmm. again, they should yeah. be meaningful, make sense, make an impact. Yeah. So you said at the beginning that you enjoy facilitating, explaining things. You have the knack of explaining things in a very simple way. How did you discover this? So I did not know this was, uh, quote, quote, my superpower. I was told this by people. So I think a lot of discovering about ourselves comes from exploring what's out there, putting yourself out there, exploring things and taking feedback from people. So when I've been taking feedback from people, they said, you're really great at this. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. But then when two, three people start saying the same thing, you start thinking like, okay, so maybe this is my unique USP, right? My unique selling point. Like this is something that I can do that I didn't realize was quote, quote, you know, superpower. So this is how I discovered I was good at it. And then I also realized this is something I enjoy. So, you know, when you have discovered something that you enjoy and you're good at, it's a great way to work in, in that field. So are you working more in uh, facilitation of projects or more in trainings at the moment? Right now, it's it's training for yeah for individuals and organizations. So oh, designing cohort courses, well. individuals, yes. Yeah, so, so a group of individuals or even just cohort courses that are there. So let's jump into this a little bit. <laughs> I know you said at the very beginning as well, you like experiential learning. You integrate play into mm. that as well. Let's think about a basic kind of training you have. And you have, let's say, 
people are really into it and they want to be there for a reason. Mm -hmm. Some who are wondering, okay, why they're here. And some like, okay, I have to be here. <laughs> How would you facilitate this conversation for collaboration yeah. and co-creation? So one thing when we are in this online world is that we all are, yes, we're screens on a thing, but we are also in our own spaces. So I think the first thing initially when uh, starting anything, even, even a small event or a workshop, is just getting people on the same page and creating, co-creating that culture. So what I mean by that is what we call in facilitating world, creating that contract, right? the contract between who is participating and the person who is doing that. So what you're going to say is that we come up with rules that we want. So everyone has already attended online events. So they know what bores them about it. They know what excites them and they know what they want more of based on the experience. So I straight out ask, you know, what from experiences that you had in either a full day workshop or half day or even just online meetings, what would you like more of? What would you like less of? And understanding where everyone's coming from, we then come to agreements like say, you know, we will be interactive. So hashtag interact with each other or hashtag create those team agreements, as we call them, that this is how we're going to work with each other. So then we had some people say, you know what, I cannot listen to a lot of theory. I want some real world examples. So then it's hashtag keep it real. So we remind ourselves throughout because I'm asking people to spend eight hours a day staring at my face, explaining things for three days. So to wow. get them in yeah. To get them in that space, to make sure that they're interactive, you really have to co-create that space. You cannot lead with what you think is best. You have to manage it. So creating those team agreements just at the start is one thing. At the end of the day, right, end of the first day, I ask them, so these were the team agreements that we did. Do you feel there's anything else we need to add to this? At that point, some people are like, okay, yes, maybe we need to add this. Maybe we need to remove something. And at the start of the next day as well, we refresh them. So these are team agreements that is not a static thing. It is a live document that we are agreeing to working together. We're saying that, you know, some things are working for us, not working for us. And one thing that came up was also people are not comfortable being on video for eight hours. And that makes sense, right? It makes sense. So then, yeah, so sure. then this, so some of the agreements that were there was even around, you know, we cannot do video, but we would love to participate by audio. So some of the activities I said, you know, I told them straight, like this activity, this is how it works. It, it works great on video, but what can we do? to, you know, make sure that we still have this activity with, because it's great for the next learning that we have. It is very relevant to it. So that's why I don't want to change the activity, but maybe you can come to an agreement on how to do this activity. Straight away, someone says, instead of, you know, so the activity was basically that we say, hey, what are you doing? So I'd say, hey, Maria, what are you doing? And you say, suppose swimming. So then I'll be like, you know, I'm swimming, right? And then I'll say, hey, what are you doing? And you say the same thing. And then you have to act it out. So this was basically to get them in the mindset of putting yourself in the shoes of someone else understanding a verb and, you know, getting, that's the mindset you wanted to create. But how do you do that if it's not video? That was a real challenge. So then they said, let's do it on video. Let's do it with noises. And this came from them. And I was like, oh, I didn't think of this. And because we created that agreement, right, they were working with me to make sure that this event works together. So it's not me leading as a facilitator. It's us in that space working together to bring value to both of us, value to my time, but also value to what they're learning and we can come up with. So those team agreements, I feel, are very, very important, especially when you're asking people for so much of their time. Ad break. No, not an ad. But as you may have noticed, this show has no sponsors. But you can still support Gut Talks by leaving five stars or a comment on your podcast player. And like, share, and follow the social media channels of Gut. W-G-U-T-T. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get going. 
That's very challenging. Actually, I like what you said. And for sure, eight hours a day behind a screen. I mean, that's asking for a lot. Is it working? Like, I mean, I guess it's working right from your, but is there something you would change or you're enjoying this kind of eight hours straight, three days, bam, done. A bit like you would do in real life. So if it's like in <laughs> in-person work, that would be amazing, I guess. And this one-on-one -on -one personal contact, uh, you know, conversations <laughs> that would occur, you know, great memories and so on. But online, how are you achieving this? Yeah. So eight hours is a lot. And I personally would prefer, and there's only so much that you can take away when it's eight hours, right? To absorb at that point. If I had a magic wand, I would say, you know, let's do three hours now. Let's go back another week. So we learn one thing and we apply it during the week. And maybe the next time we meet is going to be three for four hours. We'll reflect on what we learned. So you have time for people to digest the content take it in and then create. So this is if I had a magic wand, but the challenge really is now on an organization, right? Think from their point of view, right? Design thing, use empathy. Think about them. They're going to ask their people to block out that time for that many days in a month. So they prefer to just say, you know, we send people for three days and finish it off as opposed to that. So it, it's a constant challenge of how do we communicate to them that it is actually better for your organization if you do it for a longer period of time as opposed to just, you know, three days short that's there. But I feel like I'm still navigating on how to explore that, how to get that communication out there. And, you know, why is it better to have a longer engagement and where there's a long reflection time? Because that can really, because these are methods that you need to become refined in your mind when you practice them. So you need those times to practice. There's only so much practice time that you can put in a workshop. So you need those reflections because then when you reflect on it, you come up with challenges. You come up with challenges that you're going to face and then you can address those challenges at the next point. So Again, if I had magic wand, I would like to spread it out in those things as opposed to just one shot. But if you have tips on how to you know, convince organizations about that, I would love to hear that. I think this is one of the discussions we had uh, yesterday uh, in like the yeah. whole Croatian school uh, yeah, group. Yeah. I'll be putting the link in the comments anyway. There are lots of events. So it's a tough one. You know, I'm going to share a story with you. Just before the pandemic, I had a chat with a potential client and they wanted to do something over three months going in once a week, something <laughs> like once or twice a week. I can't remember. And what I tried to do actually is I said, why don't we do it over a shorter period of time? Because mm -hmm. it was not a training. It was more of a uh, project mm -hmm. they wanted to work on. But also there were, as I started asking questions, trying to figure out, okay, where is this going to happen? Are we going to have the same room? Is it the same people? Mm -hmm. And all of that, all of this was not really clear. Mm -hmm. It was not going to be the same room because this room would be used by other people. And one thing that I find very important, and I think it's because of my kind of also background in design where, you know, at uni, whatever, you would have your mm -hmm. own room, let's say, and your mm -hmm. stuff on the wall and no one would touch yeah. them or working in a company where, you know, you have the chance maybe to keep stuff there for, you know, yes. uh, people to come. And then here it would have been, imagine like you have these participants coming in mm -hmm. one week, then another week, then another week. And each time you would feel that you're starting from scratch because there is no mm -hmm. kind of repair. I don't have to say that's in French. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> um, 
uh, yeah, there's no connection with, with mm-hmm. the room itself, mm-hmm. with what's happening. And you would have to remind again, everyone, and sometimes or often, let's say, visual mm-hmm. elements can be very helpful to remember moments, uh, to remember, you know, specific words, to remember mm-hmm. an hour moment, whatever that may be. And that's why I was like, I think it's better to do it in a different way, especially that people will not be working on this the rest of the time, like at all. They would be very mm-hmm. busy with other things. So mm-hmm. I think in this case, it really depends. But that was in person this conversation mm-hmm. it didn't happen at the end because i was a bit also picky in the sense that if i want to do something i want to do it the way i believe it works otherwise mm-hmm. not getting involved yeah that's true that creation of space is very important whether it's online or in person mm-hmm. and it really empowers a organization because when you feel that this is an environment that you, you can be free this is an environment that makes sense to connect with what you're doing it really empowers people to get around and play in that scenario Yeah, and also one thing to keep in mind is that when something is so important or is portrayed as being a very important project, let's say that's going to happen, like release of a new product or whatever, that's going to make a big difference in the company, but also for people's lives and stuff like that. And then you realize that this this is going to be a project where, oh, by the way, we have to work on this too. It's not going to happen because this is a collective effort. Mm -hmm. If, If you have a facilitator, but the rest is not really involved. Like everyone who's there should really be involved. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. not going to happen. This is why a shorter format would have worked, in my opinion, better. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it depends. It's awesome when you are able to communicate all this knowledge and also learn. I mean, we also learn a lot when we facilitate, Mm -hmm. you know, from others and so on, where people will explore. Like the next time you would have so much, so many learnings coming back putting that into the process, like injecting it in and then moving forward. Mm-hmm. That would be yeah. very good. That's your ideal kind of <laughs> in that. Yeah. I think it's too yeah. ideal, you know, I think we're dreaming here a little bit. So it depends. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of education to be done, I think, from our end too for mm-hmm. organizations. So yeah, if you come up with something else, maybe we can do another episode <laughs> on that one. <laughs> Let's go for that. Yeah. <laughs> but you mentioned the play too a few times, so before and now. I mm-hmm. think this is also key. And this is something I think you do and I do and many others do as well, is injecting those moments of play throughout the process to start mm-hmm. connecting links and creating some sort of understanding of why are we doing this. It's the same concept rather yeah. than just explaining things through words. What are yeah. some amazing moments and experiences you can share here? <laughs> Um, sure. So I, I love bringing play. So I, I like my tagline as, you know, playful with purpose, because if you're just playful in a business organization, they're like, what is this person? They're wasting our time. Right. But if you have, if you can prove that you have a purpose behind the play, it's really important. And play is really powerful because people, when the people, when they're playing, they get automatically into that mindset of exploring things. Right. Think, think when was the last time you tried a new activity, you're exploring, you're playing, you're having fun and while you're doing that activity, you get better at it. So you don't know that you're actually getting better at it, but you're enjoying that activity. And after you finish playing, you can reflect on it and you're like, oh yes, I learned this stuff while doing it. So that playful is, is really, you know, bringing play into it is really good. Uh, one example that I, I love to share because it's it's really fun when I think about it is we had this uh, one course where we had people. So we were teaching about designing a business. That's what it was um, all about. And one of the lessons for that particular class was all about business models, right? So how do you create different kinds of revenue models? And what we did was we had this 
there are so many types of business models now nowadays. Like even Strategizer comes up. I think the website has around forty-five to fifty business models. I was like, in this point, how do you have people go through that? You know, and I wanted them to get a flavor of the business models just enough so that later they can explore more. So what we just designed, right? I came up with this thing called uh, speed dating with business models. So what they did was they had a sample business, a fake business, you know, that was there, and they had to go through those business models uh, like they were cards, like they were dating cards of a person. So it tells you about the business, it tells you about what it is, it tells you an example, a very similar example, like of Amazon or something like that, so you can relate to it. And then it asks you prompt questions, where the question prompt questions is such that you can apply those business models, and then you try to see how many of those can you apply to that business. Because a business model, you can for different customers, you can have different business models. For different partners, you can have different business models. So understanding that maybe a business model that is not even in your industry can be something you can apply. So you can take inspiration from that. So just exposing people to that in a very quick way made it like speed dating. So speed dating with business models. How was it for the participants? Oh, at first there was friction. So okay. at the very first time I tried this, there was a lot of friction. They're like, why are we doing this? So I had to explain, okay, so this is what we're coming for. So even when you're playing, right, you have to really clear. So how, how I imagine it is when you're playing, think of that basketball court, right? I say basketball because I was playing basketball when I was a kid. But in the basketball court, you know, you have the goal, you have the basket that's there. So that's what you want to achieve. You have the ball that people are playing with, right? So in this case, you're playing it with a business model, but you also have the fence courts, Right? You have the rules, you have the lines on the ground that tell you, you know, in this particular area, this is the rule that you have to follow. So you know that when you're playing with a business model, you do not have to worry about the execution of the model. Because when we are playing, I'm telling you that you, I just want you to explore the business model. I don't want you to come up with financials when I send you into the Zoom room, right? I don't want you to think of how you're going to actually implement this. I want you to just think of if you implemented, what would it look like? Because that's what the activity is all about. So telling people what they're going to do when they're playing and also what they should not be doing. So even when you have the football, or coming back to the basketball court, you have fences, right? You know that you should not be playing basketball outside those fences. You should be playing it inside. So creating those play moments where you have the goal, which is the, ba the basket ring, you have the ball that people are playing with, you have this, and you have a referee. So referee sometimes can be the facilitator who says, you know, maybe we should be moving a little fast. Maybe we have only this much time. So the facilitator comes in and out. So this is the analogy I, I like to use to explain play and designing play moments, especially as a facilitator, because you have to consider all these aspects that are there so that people can enjoy the moment and understand why they're playing and then go about it. That. Yes. So you have rules, you have constraints, and you have moments of uncertainty and unpredictable moments where they yeah. have to manage their way in. And yeah. that's great, actually, for yeah. you know seeing yeah. how the team dynamics would be also there mm -hmm. and yeah. how people would discover themselves, and, I guess, to reflect on that. And, and just that the one, one person who was there, who, who had his strongest opinion, so I, we had to spend like five minutes explaining what it was. That was a great learning for me. When, they came, when he came out of the breakout room, what he said was, I love this. When can we do this again? And so we have like weekly calls, the three calls a week that do the same thing, but different people teach it. So he attended the other three as well, just to get more into it. And then later contact me. He's like, how can I help you build this more? So it was, it was really, you know, uh, people love to play and love to learn. So how do you leverage that as a facilitator you know, and make sure that they play on the right things? So yeah. yeah, that's what I just want to share that. No, that's cool. And this makes uh, a difference because you remove this kind of very serious aspect where people would expect much, much more. You, you know, the, the marshmallow challenge, right? Is where uh, you have the actually spaghetti and marshmallows mm -hmm. and you have to build yeah. uh, the highest kind of- Something from it. Yeah, tower. tower. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Just want to clarify that. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And the guy who actually invented it, mm -hmm. I think it was like Autodesk or something, who was to work oh, there or something okay. like that. Nice. Um, I, I can't remember. I mean, that's amazing because I've also done it with people from really all age, all ages, like teenagers mm -hmm. and you know professionals with 20 years of experience or 
less as well. So what I noticed, but also what I've seen from the video of the guy who invented uh, uh -huh. it, he said this, he said, uh -huh. kids do this much better because they don't have any expectations. Yes. And the reason being is, is how you do this. So how you mm -hmm. present this as well. It's all about storytelling, going back to that. So you mm -hmm. can say, whoever builds the highest tower will have this amount of money you know, you will win, your team will win that or you uh -huh. will win a trip or whatever that may be. Uh -huh. Whereas if you kind of have no expectations and you just go ahead and do it, you won't mm -hmm. focus on I want to win or I want to get that and I want to be seen or I want to whatever. You will mm -hmm. focus on just making this happen. So yeah. I'm not going to say yeah. what's, uh, how you build it uh -huh. <laughs> because there is a not trick, but a guideline on how to do it, like how to start. Mm -hmm. People can go and uh -huh. try it in their teams, I think. This is brilliant, mm -hmm. but this is in person. I've never done this online mm -hmm. because you need a yeah. team to build this. So they should all yeah. be in the same room, actually. Yeah, lots of things changed, I guess, since uh, COVID and so on. How was it for you? in terms of your facilitation or, or was it always online? Um, yeah, so I was, I, I believe, so the thing is, I tell many of my friends, I was doing online before it became, you know, this thing. And uh, one of the jokes was that before I used to tell people, I'm going to a Zoom meeting. They're like, what is Zoom? And I had to explain, uh, it's Skype, but not really. Uh, but now everyone knows what Zoom is. So I had the advantage of being able to work uh, asynchronously uh, as part of my work with IDOU. We have a lot of people working from different parts of the world. We've already been like using ways to work asynchronously to create that team engagement, to create those safe psychological safety in teams so that we work together. So I was more prepared for it when it happened because we had already been doing it for a while. We'd figured out ways that work for us. So it was interesting to navigate it when and also share experiences with people when they were getting into it as well. Yeah, my first uh, thing was getting a microphone, I think. <laughs> That's like, that was for me. I'm going to get ready for that. But no, same, it was, same here. It, it's more because I wanted to create a course and start a podcast, like basically mm -hmm. stuff like that. Oh, but yes, okay. but I'm, I'm enjoying the online aspect, to be honest, because there's one thing. Actually, I made the decision for 2022, at least like mm -hmm. the first eight months, is only doing things online. The reason being, well, at least here in Italy, you still have to wear masks and stuff when you're indoors. And mm -hmm. I didn't like this. I've done it since 2020. So September 2020 was my mm -hmm. first like in person mm -hmm. again, you know, kind of event. And it was, it was tough. It was mm -hmm. tough because everyone was scared. Mm -hmm. You know, you really had guidelines and you couldn't move. Uh, like mm -hmm. I had to compromise on many things and find a solution, staying even longer to put like scotch tape between like one person and another who are going to stand Ooh. in those positions, like things like that. Mm -hmm. So, and I thought mm -hmm. that's like the way it's going to be, you know, and I freaked out. It worked well at the end, but it was difficult because also doing you know, sessions where people are there in person, but some prefer to stay home or couldn't make it um, when it's not equipped. It's very difficult. Mm -hmm. Also, so my decision was to be completely online because for me, it's very important to see people's faces and body language and yeah. reaction because yeah. I improvise a lot. Okay. Actually, I think I improvise more than what <laughs> I do, but it turns out okay. And with masks, it's, it's tough because the eyes mm -hmm. alone are not going to It's tough to read. Yeah, yeah. very true. That's Very what true. I'm sharing behind the screen, yeah. even though we don't have videos all the time. 
but mm-hmm. at least you know what to expect and you just adjust based on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know. and sometimes you just create that space where people can still contribute even if their videos are off. So, you know, sometimes uh, coming back to those team agreements. So one of the places, one of the team agreements was that if you like something that I was saying, if you find it funny, react with, you know, the Zoom react button. Yeah. So when people do that, even if you have a bunch of everyone's videos off, you see the reactions, right? So you as a facilitator know that people are engaged, people are listening to you. So like, how do you create those things? So it's been really interesting to explore this online space and how it's very different because uh, turning videos in one part of the world might be, you know, just the way of doing it. But for other, another part of the world, it might be very different because um, maybe you don't have that shared. You have, you're living in a shared space as opposed to having your own room where you can do that. So how do you create those spaces? So that's been very interesting to explore uh, when the pandemic hit as well. How do we do this um, as facilitators? Yeah, and I think we explore kind of every day how mm-hmm. things. There are new tools yeah. as well, but the tools alone are not going to make a difference. So I was just curious. You said you used to play basketball. Do you play <laughs> yeah. also? I'm not, I'm not that good at it. I'm not, I'm not that good at it. I have a lot of good friends who are great at basketball. I just play it for fun. So I play it to enjoy. But yeah, I would say that I did f- land a few three-pointers in my day back in school. But not many. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Is there basketball? Is my has always been my favorite sport. Anyway, oh, uh, I well, used that's to, nice. Yeah, I used to go okay. around, like 15, 14, whatever, even older. Mm-hmm. I would go and spend my time just shooting three pointers. At some mm-hmm. point, I was good. Oh. Now I don't think the ball reaches the. the, <laughs> the well, we can yeah. definitely try now. So that's one more thing we need to do when we yeah. meet up. <laughs> yeah. Or on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> figure it out how to do that <laughs> yeah. is there anything you would like to talk about i just want to add one thing here you said you uh, worked with or you work with actually mm-hmm. idea you and mm-hmm. uh, and you work with other organizations as well but just mm-hmm. to clarify all opinions are your own mm-hmm. disclaimer here on uh, gut talks is there anything else you would like to uh, i'm just trying to keep this within the hour that's all so anything else you would like to discuss I guess it's quite interesting. So one thing that I think we've all discovered in this pandemic is that the ease in which we can explore places because a lot of people are going online. So no matter me sitting in in Mumbai, India, can talk to you sitting in Milan, right? Italy. So just exploring what's out there, creating that community that that is outside what we traditionally used to call a community, right? Something that you could meet in person can be really powerful because it helps you get different perspectives of things. And I feel like we've all had these silos in the world where we were doing it, doing things on our own. We were figuring out, we were, yes, meeting when we met at conferences, we had to travel, but now it's much more easier to meet people online and create these communities with people who might be doing the same work as you are, but in a very different context, in a different part of the world and a different way. So using the same tools in a very different way. So there's a lot more learning opportunities. So I've definitely benefited a lot from being able to learn from others, learn with others, try experiment with others. So I would just encourage everyone to go ahead and do that and explore those communities of something that you want to learn or you want to try or you want to experiment and just have fun while doing it, you know? Totally, yeah. for sure. And actually, you know, these podcasts are a bit global. I've had people from literally everywhere. And I also had the chance to do workshop for, with just workshops and sessions and projects. So, you know, with people from everywhere, again, literally. Mm-hmm. And there is one thing I noticed, and I'm going to bring it up here because uh, you're in Mumbai, right? And uh, mm-hmm. obviously, and I met a lot of Indians who have like engineering backgrounds, for example, or design backgrounds, it depends, who jumped into UX or UI. Recently, some have been doing that for a few years. And one thing they uh, mentioned is that in India, things are like 
come in like after or another thing they were saying like when it comes to designers in large companies uh, corporations and things like that mm -hmm. is still a little bit behind or there's this kind of friction with the other stakeholders and so on in, in the company and yeah. and for me it was like this is like everywhere like <laughs> it's like i told them like my experience at least and so on because i also started in consulting with the you know big four and when the team the design team was very very recent like very very mm -hmm. small mm -hmm. as well it is interesting it's different dynamics there's lots of education to be done there's lots of communication to be out there. I think it's great times. And it's good that we're not all aligned in that sense because we don't all think in the same way. Maybe aligned is not the right word. We all have different mindsets, but then finding a way mm -hmm. to want to work together, this is key. Mm -hmm. If we want to do that, then we learn and listen and understand to each mm -hmm. understand each other because this is not only in one place. This is everywhere and it also depends on the pressure and the business goals and kpis and all of, so there are many mm -hmm. things that come into play and it's not just like about the well-being of a person or an individual or a team in an organization mm -hmm. and i want to bring this up with you to see how do you think about that and, and another thing like india is huge we know but i mean bangalore uh, there are so many patients <laughs> coming from there i mean bangalore is not india you know india is mm -hmm. bigger but mm -hmm. Many things come from there. For me, one key aspect, and I hope, you know, some of the people I met <laughs> listen to that because I think I want your opinion on this, but my view is it's everywhere. It's not only India. It's not only consulting in India or so on. It's the same patterns. This is why we can speak the same language, have conversations and, you know, jump mm -hmm. into conversations like that where we can all learn and support each other. Yeah. So that's quite interesting when you mentioned that there is friction. So in organizations, when you're bringing this new mindset, for sure. Yeah. And I think one thing that helps when you hear that this sort of thing that you're trying to bring to is being used by another company in X part of the world right? Or you hear it from Y part of the world, then you're like, maybe that friction starts to reduce sort of. So having these um, conversations about what's happening in other parts of the world, these case studies of it being applied and success stories coming out of it can really change that movement, can really stop that, reduce that friction. And it starts snowballing into where instead of you reaching out to people and saying, you know, you need this, right? A, a pull, a push towards the market. You start getting pulled from the market. So you start getting people reaching out to you and say, hey, you know what? We want to try this design thinking in our workshop. We want to bring this to this. And it is, I've been starting to see that as well. Like a lot of people reaching out for this thing as opposed to, you know, pushing that pull from the market as well. So I think it's it's the evolution and it's the speed at which things are happening. But it's also the realization that it's happening in other parts of the world. So people are being exposed to it. and People are seeing its results as well. So that can be a, a great way to reduce that friction because those, when you, when you have examples of it, they really become those beacons, right? They become those beacons for the change that you want to see. And they can be really powerful in that sense. That's, yeah, I just wanted your view on that one, actually. So at least we're kind of echoing each other. That's, but mm -hmm. I like the fact, like the case studies. Yeah, because you do read and people would read, but it's like, sometimes you just need read the story that is ideal but maybe what's missing is the whole journey to get there. Yeah. This is yeah. key. Yeah. People often forget the journey. They yeah. just see the destination and they're like, okay, we want to get there. We were like, wait, hold on, hold on. It is a journey. You will go through these things. It does take time and you need to get started now. You can't just like, you know, copy paste and, and it's done. You're, you're that destination. So yeah. Explaining that, especially as a facilitator, when you, when you tell, you expect people, you say you want to bring design thing to the workshop, right? Three days with me is not going to bring design thing into your workshop. Yeah. I'm sorry, but it's not. 
Yeah. Right. I can I can inspire people about it. I can give them some challenges that they will possibly face, but they're going to have to apply it. And we will equip as much as we can in those three days to do it. But it's just about starting that journey. It's about helping in some. In, so depending on the context, it can be from helping people realize that this thing exists so that they can explore more, giving them enough appetite for themselves to explore more and go out there. Because a lot of, um, you know, there's, the information is, is available just as long as you, you know what you want to search for. So maybe just telling them about these things, giving them access to those tools. For another context, it may be they're already using it and now they want to enhance it. Right? They want to get better at a certain specific part of it. So then you start designing. So that would be the workshop for that. So it really depends what kind of journey they want to and realizing that it is a journey. It is something that you need to practice and you need to do and reflect on to get better at and to you know have those environments for that. Yeah, it's not something acquired. You do once and you believe that's it. I've got it. It's continuous improvement. Yeah, sure. And that's exciting. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, thank you for that. I think if someone wants to reach out, I'll be putting all the links, but where can we find you? LinkedIn is the best place, I feel, because it's got everything. Thank you so much, Shamir. It's been fun. Thank you so much, Maria. You were listening to Gut Talks by Maria Matloub. To support the show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with anyone who could benefit from listening to these stories and experiences. To continue the conversation, join the Telegram channel. All links are in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.